Our scripture this morning is from John chapter 14, verses 1 to 26. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I am going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you are going, so how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father, and that will be enough for us. Jesus answered, Don't you know me, Philip, even after I have been among you such a long time? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. Very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these, because I am going to the Father. And I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. If you love me, keep my commands, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the Spirit of Truth. The world cannot accept him, because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. On that day, you will realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love them and show myself to them. Then Judas, not Judas Iscariot, said, But, Lord, why do you intend to show yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus replied, Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them, and we will come to them and make our home with them. Anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. All this I have spoken while still with you. But the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning. So good to be here. Most of you have no clue who I am. 
I can feel the, the shock and awe right now. But I know a few of you. I uh, see some students from Ambrose and some colleagues, uh, several colleagues, so it's so good. And, and Glenn and Dorothy, I, reader, I, I was a, a bit shocked and alarmed to see you. I thought you had been banished or something. Uh, but I hear you've retired. So very cool, very good to meet you. Now, are you still living in, in Drumheller and commuting here? Wow, okay. That says something about this community that you had commute all that way. Was it about an hour or so? Okay, wow, very good. Well, hi. Very good. And uh, thank you, worship team. Um, I, I've never spoken, I've done as much kind of pulpit supply. In the, uh, I pastored for 24 years, and of course I was in my own pulpit most Sundays. And since uh, three years ago, I've been at Ambrose and done a lot of pulpit supply. And it turns out a lot of churches meet in gymnasiums. And it is very hard to mix sound well. You've done a brilliant job, Beth, because you've got all these hard surfaces that aren't created. It's not, it's not dynamically tuned, right, Don? And, and you, you've just done a fantastic, <laughs> a fantastic job of, of uh, a very difficult task. So thank you so much. If you don't notice the sound stuff, that's because they're doing a great job. Um, if it's not kind of shocking you and, and uh, alarming you and all that. So it's so good to be here. Well, thank you. And, and Helen, um, thank you for reading. She, she was trying to um, sort of, she told me she, she was just going to slip in and you ended up having to pinch it for the reading. So you did a very great job. Thank you. There's a quote I love. It's been variously uh, ascribed to a number of people, but it actually comes from a man who I have no idea who is, by the name of Sam Pasco. And he said this, that Christianity began in Palestine as a relationship. It moved to Greece and became a philosophy. It moved to Rome and became an institution. It moved to Europe and became a culture. It moved to America and became an enterprise. The next two weeks, I am going to be exploring a couple of key texts out of what's called the Upper Room Discourse. Jesus' parting words to his disciples, and the, the span of it is actually begins in John 13, where Jesus washes his disciples' feet, predicts Judas's betrayal, Peter's denials, and then he goes into three lengthy, complicated chapters about what it means for him to leave. And if you had to sum all of that up, uh, I'm going away, going away for a long time. <laughs> the sum of what Jesus says is, you lucky bums. It's, you know, I'm an expert in the Greek, as you can tell. And uh, <laughs> you lucky bums, it's so good for you that I'm going away. You wouldn't believe what good news. They're totally... St- you know, thunderstruck, they're smitten, they're alarmed, they're scared. He's going away. What does this mean? He's saying, oh, you lucky bums. In fact, the heart of what Jesus says to these men is, my leaving will not result in greater distance between us, but actually greater intimacy. Do you believe that? (laughs) Jesus Christ saying, because I'm going away, my departure from this earth doesn't mean less communion with me, but more. Not greater distance, greater intimacy. That's what he says. You lucky bums. Actually, that's um, Karl Barth, but 
Never mind that. I'm going away. And it's so good for you that I will, that I am. What Jesus, in effect, is doing in the upper room discourse is saying, however Christianity comes into some other part of the world, takes on dimensions of that world's value system. That's fine. So it comes to America and it becomes entrepreneurial. That's fine. Goes to Greece, becomes philosophical. Fine. Because Christianity animates that which is best in every culture, actually, if we understand it rightly. That it's going to take the genius of these various places, the genius of North American culture, which is make it happen. (laughs) And it'll animate that, and it'll actually purify that in its best form. And we'll see the fulfillment of the cultural aspirations of every single community on planet Earth. (laughs) But what Jesus is saying is as it goes into these other places and becomes philosophical or institutional or cultural or entrepreneurial, it never ever can lose its fundamental connection with me. It's profoundly personal. It's a relationship. The minute it becomes entrepreneurial and not relational, philosophical and not relational, cultural and not relational, it loses its heart. It's always a relationship. (laughs) And it's a relationship, Jesus says, in the upper room discourse, again, John 13 through 17. I forgot to say he prays at the end, and it's an amazing prayer, but we won't get to that in my time with you, my two weeks with you. But uh, it's a relationship that leads to mission. If I had to sum up the upper room discourse, I would use two words. Jesus says, abide, stay here, live in me, rest in me, learn from me, soak in me, delight in me. Let's be friends. You want to talk about a BFF? (laughs) That's me, he says. In order that, you might arise. Abide that you might arise. You might go forth. Stay here that you might go forth. (laughs) Let's stay connected so that everything you are and everything you do is an overflow of the heart of God to a broken world. It's actually the last supper scene, this upper room discourse. So interesting, if you look at the other Gospels, what's called the synoptics, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, same eye is what that means. It's sort of, they're sort of seeing the story more or less from the same perspective, same eye. Matthew, Mark, and Luke, when they get to the, the Last Supper, they take, you know, five, six, seven verses to describe. And it's almost, you know, you, you get, if you read Matthew, Mark, and Luke, the Last Supper scene, you understand Da Vinci's painting, that tableau, almost static, you know, people sort of, re, you know, reaching the hand the bread or receive the bread. And it's kind of got this still life quality, the way Da Vinci portrays it. But they only take, again, five, six verses to tell the whole story of the Upper or the, the Last Supper. John takes five chapters <laughs> to tell us what went on. And if I had, to, if I was an artist, I'm, I'm, I'm not, trust me. But if I was an artist and I was trying to render John's version of the Last Supper, 
I would have some kind of huddle, not, not like a, it would just be a holy huddle. It would be people, uh, the, these men leaning in and kind of their arms around and Jesus speaking in a whisper. Because when you whisper, it makes people listen harder. And what Jesus is disclosing as they, as they gather together in this intimate fellowship is the secret at the very heart of the universe. He's telling them, this is the heart of the heart of God. This is the secret at the very heart of the universe. Here's what it is, he says. Soak in me in order to become just like me, that you might go out in my power and bear fruit to the Father's glory. Soak in me that you might become just like me in order that you might go out in my power and bear fruit to the Father's glory. That's the heart of the heart of the Father. It's Donnie saying, dude, whatever you're going to do in your life, just so abide and, and receive and soak in me that more and more and more your life is being formed and transformed to look like mine. That you might go forth in the joy and the power and the love, all those the peace of the Father. <laughs> all these words... Uh, that, that he uses in the supper room. That you, you might have his peace and his joy and it might be complete in you, formed in him that you might go forth in his power to bear fruit to the Father's glory. That's the secret at the heart of the universe, what Jesus is talking about. But you know, it's hard for them to hear this because they're really messed up right now, these, these guys, this gang. Um, their hearts are troubled. Uh, I, you know, I, I gave the wrong, I, there was supposed to be one more verse attached, and, and I, I was alarmed as I realized I didn't. Um, because Jesus, the, the passage that Helen read actually ends with a repeat of the first verse. The first verse is, do not let your hearts be troubled. The last verse is, do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Why is Jesus saying, do not let your hearts be troubled? Well, I'll come for, in, a, in just a moment why he's saying it to them, but their hearts are ruptured in upheaval, in turmoil. And the problem with a troubled heart is it's very hard to listen with a troubled heart, isn't it? <laughs> I mean, when, you, when you've got distraction going on in your life, that something's going on relationally or physically or financially or vocationally, when something's got you in its grip, it's just very hard to be in the place of attentiveness and receiving. And so Jesus has to say twice, don't let your hearts be troubled. Does he have to say that to you? <laughs> I mean, there's got to be a couple of you here, anyhow, that came with troubled hearts. And uh, he doesn't despise that. Actually, in, in, in John 12, 27, Jesus himself says, my heart's troubled. My soul's overwhelmed with trouble. I know what it's like to have a troubled, troubled soul, troubled heart, he's saying. I'm not superhuman. <laughs> I'm human. <laughs> I know what it's like when your world's sort of turned upside down, going sideways. It's wrecking everything in here. Some of you came and you had a troubled heart. You have a troubled heart. There's something going on right now, and it's very hard to listen to me, to the Holy Spirit, These men, their life is being completely discombobulated. Is that how you say that? Because there's a way I once said that. that anyhow, 
Uh, it's just it's just being ripped apart because everything they've dreamed and hoped is being shattered before their eyes. Jesus has been making these bizarre statements. I mean, this is coming right on the heels of raising Lazarus from the dead. If you look at the chronology of John, I mean, they're like, "What? What?" I, uh, something. You know, is that how you say that? Anyhow, they're really happy uh, because they're like, "This is it. This is this is the big crown." You know. The crowning jewel and the the whole messianic enterprise that wow he's raising dead people and whatnot but but this plot, plot thickens around the plan to kill Jesus and he frankly says to the guys I'm they're going to get me they're going to take me out and I'm going away and they're like no way this is just coming together you're tell-. so they're they're pretty distracted right now their hearts are troubled. And Jesus says to them, don't let your hearts be troubled. Don't, don't you hate it when people do that to you? I mean, I just hate that. You know, you're really in a mess, and, and you're really in a quandary, and people say, oh, don't worry. I, did, I hate, don't you hate that, right? I hate that. And, I, and I've thought about that a lot. Why do we hate it when somebody says to us, you know, when we're really distraught, don't let your hearts be troubled, or don't be afraid, or whatnot? And the normal response is because we don't want people to fix us, right? I'm not sure that's true. I've had a knee issue for a year and a half. I love to walk, but when I walk too far, it, it flares up. I've been going to the doctor for a year and a half, and he keeps giving me you know, different tests, and they take six months to sort of get into the specialist. And I actually just want him to fix me. Like, or when I take, I recently took my car, we were going on a long trip, and I, I, I took it to, there's some issues, and I took it to the, a uh, mechanic, and you know, when I take a mechanic and, and I, I pay 500 bucks at the end, I don't want him to say, we're sorry, uh, $500, but we couldn't do anything. We couldn't diagnose the thing. We, we couldn't fix it, but we so empathize with you. <laughs> no, I want the thing fixed. So, you know, in my heart, I would actually, I would pay money for somebody to fix me. I think the issue why we find it so annoying when somebody says, don't worry, don't be afraid, when our hearts are distraught, is not because we don't want somebody to fix us, but because in almost every instance, what they do is they throw us back on ourselves. And they're basically saying, Leanne, you fix you. (laughs) And you're like, if I could, I would. And what Jesus does in this context is he says, do not let your hearts be troubled. Why? Because you can totally throw yourself on me. You can't fix you, but but just come to me. (laughs) Throw yourself here. David got that. At the end of David's life, it's it's a kind of weird way the story of David ends. He counts a bunch of fighting men. He gets in trouble for God for it. And and God comes and says, you're in trouble, and here's some, you know, here's some things you can do um, to try to get out of the trouble, to try to fix it. And you know what David says? This is Second uh, Samuel 24, verse 14. He says, well, this is what I choose. Let me fall into the hands of God. <laughs> I'm throwing myself on him. You know, the thing is, is you can't fix you. You look like a very altogether guy anyhow but one day you may find you have a problem and um, and people you'll come and they'll say essentially fix yourself they'll try to get you to throw yourself back on you it doesn't work I mean not when it comes to stuff of the soul and the heart so always remember this 
that Jesus looks you in the eye and he says, when your heart is a mess, throw yourself on me. Trust in me. Trust also in God. And then he says three things, and I've got to really move now and get through these. He says, you can trust me because everywhere uh, I'm going ahead to prepare a place for you. Now, what do you do? I mean, why is that so comforting? Traditionally, we've interpreted this to mean I'm going to heaven and I'm getting a nice apartment for you and, and I know your favorite color scheme and it'll all be, it'll all be cool. Um, that's my least favorite. That's a possible interpretation of this text, but it doesn't make any sense of the context. So Jesus, no doubt, is going ahead to prepare some wonderful house or apartment or something for you in heaven. The problem is, is that when you're really messed up, when you're really scared, the idea that someday you're going to go to heaven and you're going to get a nice apartment doesn't really help you, does it? You want help now. And if you actually read the full context of the Upper Room Discourse, the promise isn't so much, I'm going ahead and one day you'll come join me. It's, I'm going ahead to get something ready and I'm coming back to be with you. Here, now, always. And I'm not going to leave you as orphans. It's a ready help. Ever ready help in times of trouble is what he's offering. So here's how uh, I've come to understand this text based on, you know, People have helped me understand it. First of all, he's talking about the cross. I'm going ahead. You can't come now, but later you'll be able to come. Because I'm going to prepare a place for you. I'm going to open a way to the Father that right now has not been. I'm going to go tear the curtain in the Holy of Holies. And you can't get into the Holy of Holies. You'd smitten dead if you went into the very presence of God. I'm going to go tear that thing from top to bottom and invite you in. And you can come in anytime you want. I'm going to open the way to the Father. But I have to do a, a messy thing that you can't do. I have to take on the whole sin of the world. I'm going to head to prepare a place for you. Uh, this is the writer of Hebrews chapter 10. He describes the body of Christ and the, and the cross of Christ and says that he's opened a real and living way for us to the Father. <laughs> Are you people of the cross here? You know, we never really get past the cross. I'm not talking about some grim, morose kind of uh, you know, meditation on the crucifixion. Obviously, that's part of the story. I mean the cross of Christ that actually cancels out the debt <laughs> and opens up the way. It's the least exclusive means of actually solving the sin problem. Do you know that? Most people want to solve the sin problem by being good enough, which is implicitly there's this pair of scales. And, um, you know, if I put my good deeds and my bad deeds on either side, hopefully my good deeds outweigh my bad deeds. Wow, that's scary. That's a scary way to live. I mean, I never know, right? If, if, um, and Jesus says, let me just take it all and cancel it all. <laughs> I go to prepare a place for you. And only I and my very body will open up the way to God for you. <laughs> it's open. And the second way I come to understand this is everywhere I go, uh, everywhere you go, there I am. 
I come, uh, come to prepare a place, and I'll come back, and in my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I'd go there to get the ready. And what he's saying is now, everywhere you go, there I am. <laughs> There's not anywhere now that uh, you can go because of what I'm doing in the Father and the, the, the impartation of the Holy Spirit. There will be no place you can go. Not today, not tomorrow, not this room, not that room, not the other room. Anywhere you go, there I am. <laughs> And everywhere I go, you go, he's going to take you by the hand and say, come on, what's your name? Ricky. 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 He's saying, Ricky, come on, let's go. Everywhere you go, there he is. Every room you enter, he's already gone before and got it ready. And he's there with you. <laughs> Don't be afraid. Don't let your hearts be troubled. I've opened the way forever to the Father, and now everywhere you go, I'm with you. Second thing he says, why we shouldn't let our hearts be troubled, is everything I say and everything I do is a revelation of the Father. I don't have time to unpack every verse he says, but that's the fundamental of of this text that's been read. Everything I'm saying, you're getting a glimpse of the Father. Everything I'm doing, you're getting a glimpse. You want to know what the Father looks like? Hello, he says. (laughs) You know what the the heart of the Father's work is? And I'm so convinced that every Christ follower, if they were living out of this place, we would live with a, um, a vitality, courageousness, hopefulness that would be undiminished. At the heart of the work of the Father is the Father saying to each of us what he said to his son, you are mine. You're my son, you're my daughter. I'm so pleased with you. Even when I'm annoyed with you, I'm pleased with you. You know that? Even when you annoy him, you please him. It's just like a father's love. Father or mother isn't always, you know, happy with the kid. But there's a pleasure you take. This is my child. <laughs> Pleased. I love you. You see, that's what, that's what the Father says to Jesus, and we are heirs and co-heirs with Jesus. Everything the Father has said to him, he's saying to us. And I'm so convinced that if we actually lived in that place of believing the voice of the one saying to us, You are my child. With you, I'm so pleased. I love you. And actually, I love it when you talk. Listen to him. (laughs) I I, I can't help. My roots are Scottish, and I just, I think, I think the father must say it in a Scottish voice. He's got a brogue, right? You're my son. You're my lad. Yeah, that's that's my lad. I'm so proud of him. I love him. It's mine. Look at him. Listen to him. Everything I say, Jesus says, everything I do reveals the Father. That's why you don't need to be afraid. And then lastly, everything I've done, everything you've watched me do, you will do greater things because the Holy Spirit's coming to live in you. Now, this is the weirdest part. Everything I've done and everything I'm doing, everything you've seen, everything you've heard, you'll do greater things than me. John 14, 12, because the Spirit's coming. I'm leaving, Spirit's coming. You'll do, really? Anybody here raise the dead? Um, yeah, yeah, but you're talking about your husband. Um, 
you know, in the morning when he's just like, yeah, yeah it's, it's, it's a, that's a metaphor. Um, anybody walked in water? I'd like to see that. What do you, what, what, I mean, anything, everything you've seen me do, the greatest things is, well, he is actually in the context referring to the miraculous. So I actually have a conviction that God wants to see more of the miraculous. Uh, he, he wouldn't do miracles under two conditions or even couldn't do them when there was no faith and when there was clamoring for them, insistence on them. And I think uh, generally the evangelical church needs to kind of bring up her faith quotient on this one. I think the, I think the Father wants to see more of the miraculous in our day. I'm not talking about becoming sort of these, you know, way out there charismatics and whatnot, but, but honestly, really, I think he just wants to see more healing, physical, spiritual, emotional healing. My wife is in a ministry, and she does that. And it's pretty amazing. And um, it's weird that we don't talk about that as much as the Bible does. Isn't they find that weird? I find that weird. No. Anyhow, just saying. But here's the interesting thing about Jesus saying, you'll do greater things than me when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. It's the very last thing that the disciples saw Jesus do. Now, they've listened to him speak a lot uh, in these last few moments. But the last thing they saw him do wasn't the raising of Lazarus, which is a pretty amazing miracle. The last thing they watched Jesus do was get down on his knees and wash their feet. And you'll do even greater things than these. What's your name? Zach. Zach? Um, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, if you saw the master, and he actually says, if you've done as the master is greater than the servants, and yet um, you're not above this, if you do this, you will be blessed. <laughs> you saw your master wash your feet. You can do this for other people, can't you? When the Spirit comes upon you and releases you from all your, your need to achieve and your need for status and your egotism, you actually will do greater works than me. Because imagine, imagine this, that Zach... Beth, and and even Helen. Sorry, I just I just had to. I don't know why I had to do that. I'm sorry. Uh, that that everyone uh, so released from this need to grasp, Trent, even Trent, <laughs> so released from this need that they could actually just get on their knees and serve people in this very humble way. And, and that multiplied. <laughs> Jesus said it in John 12. He says, if I go away, the Spirit will come. If I go away, I, I, as one, I'm just one seed, but if I go away, they'll spring up to a hundredfold. And he actually says, because where my servant is, there I will be also. <laughs> I'm looking, how many people are here right now? 120 or something? It's a good size group here. 120 or so people completely liberated by the gift of the Holy Spirit that it's not about you <laughs> and that you can get down on your knees and actually wash the feet of people that might betray you and might deny you. Peter, 
and Judas. That could turn the world upside down. <laughs> well, I got to quit. Let me tell you one story. At the uh, death of Martin Luther King Jr. in 1963, I think, he, uh, the funeral came and the civil rights movement was somewhat imperiled by infighting. A lot of squabbling going on. Martin Luther King was this magnetic, um, charismatic personality that somehow brought unity among all these little factions within it, but it was, it was threatening to all fall apart at the death of King. And, uh, and the big question is, what, who's the leader now? <laughs> Who will lead us? James Bevel, who was a very close associate of Martin Luther King, spoke at the funeral, and this is what he says, and, and with, your, um, with, with due apology, I'm going to try to imitate his cadence. There is a false rumor going around that our leader is dead. Our leader is not dead. Martin Luther King is not our leader. Our leader is a man who led Moses out of Egypt. And our leader is a man who went with Daniel in the last ten. And our leader is a man who walked out of the grave on Easter morning. Our leader never sleeps, nor does he slumber. He cannot be put in jail. He's never lost a war. Our leader is still on the case. Our leader is not dead. One of his prophets died. We will not stop because of that. <laughs> if I had to sum up what Jesus is saying in John 14, is this, I'm not dead. <laughs> I am just getting started. <laughs> do not be afraid. And do not lose heart. Thanks. Thanks.